Welcome to Fintech Impact. This podcast is an exploration of the financial technology world, interviewing different fintech entrepreneurs about what they do, their story, and what their impact is on consumers, incumbents, and the industry as a whole. Here's your host, award-winning financial planner, university lecturer, and writer, Jason Pereira. Hello, welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Ben Harrison, partner of Portage Ventures. Portage is one of the world's top venture capital firms in the fintech space. And the name has come up several times on this podcast, and we've interviewed several of their key investments and still have several more to go. And with that, here's my interview with Ben. Hello, Ben. Hello, Jason. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good. So Ben Harrison, partner at Portage Ventures. Tell us about Portage and your role there. So Portage is an early stage uh, venture fund. Portage was established about two years ago. We have two funds. The first fund was made up of three corporates all connected to the Power Financial family. So Power Financial, uh, Great West Life, and IGM. The focus of the fund is, as you would expect, in areas of wealth management, insurance, banking, and technology from an AI blockchain standpoint broadly. To date, somewhere in the range of about 25 investments across largely the areas where those operating companies exist today, so North America and Western Europe, but also a global focus for the fund. So it's not just targeted to those segments, which gives us a great view of things that are happening across the world, particularly, you know, very exciting to see all the things that are happening in the Asian market in particular. Hmm. We'll come back to that. But I mean, you have a pretty broad spectrum. I mean, you guys have, and we can get into some of the names later, but you have everything from robo-advisory to insurance issuance to accounting software, basically anything that seems to touch money is uh, is your domain. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Excellent. So tell us about your history and uh, what you did before this and how you came to be at Portage. Sure. So my history is just over 16 years with Great West Life. So a part of the group of companies, number of different roles in those 16 years, as you might expect, everything from product development, distribution, marketing, strategy, policy. Uh, the last two and a bit years prior to making the move to Portage, I was um, responsible for setting up and running uh, what we call their innovation center. I, I remember ran the that. first time we met, you were VP of innovation, to which I said, isn't that an oxymoron in an insurance company? <laughs> so yes. I always got to poke fun, but no, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> that people like you exist making it better, but continue, please. Yes. I ran that for about two years and mm-hmm. a part of that role was working closely with Portage. So from day one, when Portage was established, I was working closely with them. I was a member of the investment committee, uh, so responsible for deciding on investments, actually worked closely with them on a number of due diligence on several investments, particularly on the insurance side to start. Actually got involved, and this was very exciting, I I got involved in helping to advise a couple of the startups Hmm. on strategy, actually sat on either advisory committee or board seats, mainly observer seats, but still a great opportunity to get a real hands-on, on-the-ground view of how these companies are run and how they think and all the challenges that they encounter. Well, it's interesting. You occupy this interesting little Venn diagram of people who understand technology within a traditional insurance company, yeah. right? So I can totally see why you would be of a tremendous value to startups like that. Yeah. So that all, you could say, set the stage for the eventual move that I recently made about mm-hmm. six weeks ago over mm-hmm. to Portage. Congratulations uh, again. Yeah. Thank you. 
Good. So lots of things to go over. I mean, I, I have you in here for a couple of reasons, but let's let's talk first about a little bit about Portage quickly. So I understand you guys are ranked like one of the top VCs for fintechs now in the world. I remember seeing some yeah. sort of study. Yeah. So, you know, it's incredible work. And many of the guests we've had on here have been investments from Portage. Uh, well, Simple being the big one. Um, I'm trying to think of who else now. Coho. Coho. I haven't. I don't know one. if you've had them. No, I not yet. Uh, <laughs> collage. Dialogue. Dialogue. Wave. No, I need to get, see, there's still 25 investments. I still got to get to all of them. Uh, no, I think I've got about five or six. Uh, okay. I do have uh, Quovo coming up shortly. Okay. Um, for anyway, the podcast? For the podcast, oh, yeah. Good. So it's just, it's, it's nice because everybody seems to refer me to somebody else in the network. Yeah, uh, that's all. Well. That was one on okay. them as well. Yeah. So I know I've had at least four or five of your of your investments in. So that's great. Excellent. So one of the key reasons I wanted to have you here was to talk about the interesting experience you had with how large traditional players are basically viewing the challenge put forth by technology these days and how they're adapting to it internally. I mean, however freely you can speak about that, that would be great insight for the audience. Yeah. I mean, the sort of genesis and the basics of the why are all of these big companies changing is because they recognize their world, our world has changed. Mm -hmm. The common examples that are often cited are customers just expect now the types of experiences that they receive from Google or Amazon or Netflix. I will be happy from, when that exists. We're yeah, not there yet. But but but, <laughs> yeah. but they yeah. expect those from all the companies that they work with. And insurance and wealth management are are no exceptions. So kind of recognizing that and, and that goes back several years. That isn't a, an epiphany that just yeah. uh, hit someone there. They started to better understand the the opportunities and the challenges. And I'd say first and foremost started to bring in people who had experience in dealing with technology in a big way, but technology from the standpoint of the end user and the customer. That also represented a really, I would say, big shift in the thinking for, and I wouldn't say this is just Great West. I think this is across the board. As you think about technology and, and digital experiences and just improving the the way that customers interact and advisors interact with you, you have to think about those individuals being at the center of all the decisions that you make from just a basic product standpoint all the way through to technology and experience and everything that sort of backs that up. And so that shift has has really been a core part, I think, of what you've seen a lot of companies, their strategies that you know, putting the customer, the advisor at the center of these decisions and starting to build a better experience around around that. And that's a big change. It sort of calls into question, I think, a lot of the strategies that were initially in place. I mean, the compliance departments alone must be losing their minds over this, some of this stuff because traditionally you have these bodies within these institutions that their job is to make some things go along a certain path in order to protect the company. And that's mm -hmm. not always, you know, sometimes it's a loggerhead with the experience for the clients. Right. So I think the adapt their ability to adapt, I think, has got to be one of the biggest challenges that, that you've encountered. Yeah. I mean, change management yeah. across the board and not just change management from a technology standpoint, but that change management from that customer advisor perspective mm -hmm. goes hand in hand with with all of these changes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think you've seen a whole bunch of new people brought into all of these big companies. And when I say new people, I mean people with digital customer experience type backgrounds. And the initial steps in that journey were we need to make websites look like they were built today versus 1995, you know, 2001, yeah. you know, and so, but that's the simple stuff. The bigger stuff is how do you start to get your data 
all put together in a way that you can actually start to draw insights and intelligence from it that will make you better at serving the needs of your customers and advisors. From which which the, in those institutions is a gargantuan task oh, given the legacy systems in place at these places. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And when you think about looking not too far forward, but when you think about all of the capabilities and potential with things like AI and machine learning, oh, yeah. you, the conversations I, I sit, as you said, in this unique spot where I, I kind of straddled both worlds. And mm -hmm. so on the one hand, you can see all of the great potential that some of these new capabilities bring. And when you talk to the senior leaders at the incumbents at the big companies, they're all very excited about what can be done. Yeah, but, but they recognize that you can't use that technology in a meaningful way yeah, my until, computer. until your foundation is, yeah. is more set. So a lot of the focus, the, a lot of the strategic priorities are about technology infrastructure, data infrastructure, getting that set. And, and I would say there's been a lot of great progress that's been made. Along the way, the doors have opened through this the shift in thinking to partnerships. Mm -hmm. And that's very much where I sit in, in my old role, a big chunk of what I did was helping to connect some of the portfolio companies within the, the Portage portfolio to the right people in our business mm -hmm. to see if there's a way to, the business had an opportunity that they wanted to take yeah. advantage of, a portfolio company had a solution, how do we get them to yeah. come together and, and deliver something? Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's the unique place you're sitting in at Portage. Like, the one thing, I have so much tremendous respect for power for creating Portage in the first place because, you know, a large traditional distribution company of, of insurance and investment solutions willing to buy 25, make investments in 25 different uh, next generation companies that stand the risk of completely disrupting their entire ecosystem and saying, hey, try to find a way to work together. I struggle to find a corollary anywhere else in the financial world. It's pretty unique to my experience. It is. Uh, and yeah. it can be challenging at times to manage <laughs> that yeah. dynamic, as yeah. you might appreciate. Yeah. But, but it, it, it does speak to the foresight that Power and the folks who are running Portage, and, and I would say also the leadership group at IGM and, yeah. and, and Great West Life, to say we need to have a better understanding of all of this change that is happening. Yeah. And what better way to do that than to actually invest in and where appropriate partner with some of these companies it, it does call into question purely on the surface or given some of the company's strategies that are being invested in are mm -hmm. their direct to consumer d2c models where yeah. they are looking to circumvent or replace or just step over the traditional advisor relationship, which I still think will be absolutely core to... But there's always a segment of that market totally. that is going to need that, right? Yep. The market. And on, in addition to that, what you build an infrastructure and learn from that is incredibly invaluable to the other side of the equation. Like sure. I, I see what the likes of these people are doing. I'm thinking my first conversation is, okay, like when do I get the same tool? So, and, and, and those are the conversations that you're really starting to see now. It's been interesting, and I suspect you've... You've been a little ahead of, I think, some of these discussions, but mm. the initial reaction from the advisor community, you know, when you and I first met, it was at that Kalu presentation yes, and, I, and I gave the talk about yeah. fintech friend or foe, right? Yeah. And, and I think if I did that presentation now, I think the reaction initially was these guys are foes, right? These guys are yeah. the enemies. They're out to quote unquote, eat our lunch or drink our milkshakes. Yeah. I think to a large degree, that mentality has 
started to shift. Where it's, it's funny you mentioned that because this year, Kalu, which for everyone listening is a, is a large, high uh, value, well, high performing insurance conference in, in Ottawa, uh, where it's a lot of very politically and tax based uh, focus. But anyway, so Ben presented there two years ago. This year, another guest of the show, uh, Peter Domingos from Collage, was there, and they just made that pivot from being yeah. non you know advisor, let's call it confrontational, to advisor servicing, similar to Zenefits. And, you know, he was up there basically saying like, yeah, we can help you do this. And the conversation completely changed. He got, you know, he was swarmed with business cards <laughs> versus people sitting back going, oh, like, oh, yeah. I don't like you guys. And yeah, so it's, yeah, that shift is starting to happen. I think it's funny because this is things that things I knew were going to happen. Like a lot of times when the first time I talked to Peter, it was like, okay, this is fantastic. I want to do something similar. You beat me to it. When are you coming out with an advisor console? And that was three years ago. Yeah. Right. And sure enough, they got there. Right. <laughs> well, simple came out with, you know, what they were doing. Like, this is fantastic. When do I get to do the same thing? And yeah. you know, they're working on their thing. Right. So I think a lot of the advisors failed in traditional enterprise failed to realize that there's only so much of the market you're going to get direct to consumer. And frankly, the rest of us are still valuable and stop being threatened and start saying, how can we leverage what they're doing? Absolutely. It's part of the reason for starting this podcast. <laughs> um, the partnering thing too, I find very interesting and different too, because traditionally these institutions want to own everything. Like to my experience, it was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do that. Like that company did that. We're going to copy it. And just, you know, I got to think, I often laugh at the thought of, you know, a bunch of older guys in suits with a bunch of younger guys in hoodies trying to talk about business proposals and how they're going to work together and just the culture shock that that is. But the fact that they're open to it, I mean, this is a huge change altogether, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I, and I think, you know, it's representative of a bigger recognition or shift in, in mentality, which is like the pace of change is just so much quicker now. You can just yeah. do so. A stat I always reference in, a, in presentations is... 10 years ago, I think the cost of creating a startup venture was somewhere in the range of $5 million. Well, you have to buy all your server equipment. You totally. have to, yeah, everything from day Now on. it's, you know, half a million dollars. Sign on the AWS and yeah. keep going. Yeah. yeah. So things just happen so much more quickly now. And if you want to take advantage of that and start to test some of these new markets, some of these new products, some of these new distribution channels, mm -hmm. you have to be prepared to partner. And that is a source of great potential. It's also a source of great challenge. Mm -hmm. Partnering with startups and bringing those two cultures together can be difficult. It can totally be done with the right people. And, and, and there's Banks lots of- Banks aren't used to free lunch. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's lots of proof points now that are showing like that is a viable model. But getting big companies to get out of the we can build everything mindset is also and so having yeah. clear kind of criteria like if you want to do something that you think is going to be core yeah. it's a competitive differentiator then absolutely you yeah. should either be building it or you should be buying that technology absolutely where you are looking at opportunities that maybe aren't core you see some strategic value in them maybe it is a little longer term out maybe it's a medium term sort of accretive opportunity that you want to start to test and understand those are great ways to find partnership opportunities yeah. and just the basic reality coming back to some of the initial things we talked about like once you start getting into integrations and systems needing to talk to mm -hmm. each other yeah. that's where that's definitely where things can get complicated yeah. and and you lose some of the the value of that 
that speed to market opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, and I've, I, I sit on various advisory boards and I've sat there where they said, well, you know, we've been thinking maybe we should just build this ourselves. And I, I always face palm myself and I'm just like, you are not a tech company. They already have it done. Why are we having this part of the conversation? Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, as you said, people are waking up to that. And, and more recently, there's been some deals on people who've been on this podcast alone um, with uh, Benicade, which owns, oh, David's going to kill me for this, uh, which owns uh, Honeybee. Honeybee. Thank you. <laughs> oh, sorry, David. So only getting, getting bought out by April and then more recently Zenshurance had a massive investment from travelers, right? Yep. And that I think aired, that happened like two weeks after this yeah. aired. So, so yeah, I mean, you're starting to see traditional players wake up to this. I think the challenge there is, and, and I'm not sure if you have any experience with this, but the integration of those cultures or being able to allow, you know, what make that fintech great continue on and, and leverage that in the company. That's a real challenge. Yeah. You know, I think, I think a lot of that comes down to what do you want to do? What does the, the acquirer want to do? Is it, taking this technology and incorporating it today into what they're doing, in which case you're likely going to have to absorb more of that, that company yeah. and impose your impose is probably too strong of a word, but that culture yeah. becomes which is a, a little different. Oh, it's very different. I, I think I, the tele- developers I know, like I can't imagine going from an environment like a tech totally. startup to a bank, like they'd be out the door the yeah, first so, day. Which is why I think the strategy that you see more often is like, let these guys do their thing. Yeah. Like maybe have one or two people who are in the mothership yeah. work with and stay close to the company, mm-hmm. but otherwise let them be. Yeah. I mean, you look what, you know, some of these guys are paid for development, like the better ones and they have their corporate culture of yes, the free lunch, they ride to, they basically ride to work and work whenever they want or whatever hours they want. Yep. They often work remotely, you know, they'll take off at two o'clock afternoon for yoga, come back. Like yep. it's just, that's the life they live. And to try to tell those people that no nine to five butts in the seats, yeah. it's not going to be a good yeah, conversation. And, and I, I mean, if, if you have a company who is buying a company like that and they're not aware of yeah. that dynamic, then they probably shouldn't be buying that company. <laughs> no. Well, that's uh, mistakes have been made in the past. Let's just <laughs> yeah. say that much. So, yeah. So, uh, it's interesting too, going back to the point you made about, about the, we want this to happen, but we're dealing with computers, you know, from way back in our infrastructure. And now the conversation is being had on upgrading infrastructure. I think not what to said about that being a monumental shift in thinking, because I think back to when I worked in a large institution and there was no thinking about replacing old infrastructure in many cases. Like it was like, we'll just continue to work with it. And yeah. like, you got guys like now who are like in their seventies are the only guys who know how to fix those computers and <laughs> they can't retire. Right. Yeah. Like, and, you know, I always made the joke, and I think I told it to you before that insurance companies are just waiting for people who on the policies on those on those servers to die off, so they can just get rid of the server. That's <laughs> I think they're starting to finally recognize that's not a, not an option. That's that's a big shift in thinking for them, and the, the capital investment to fix that I can't that's imagine huge. the size of it. It's significant, yeah. and it's a recognition that technology needs to be at the core of your strategy. Yeah. I think, and this is across the board. I think for a long time, the way to success and earnings and growth was not spending the money sales people distribution and financial focus you know low cost manage the back office as as efficiently as possible and the big companies in canada on the financial service have done that well the reality is though that that is no longer enough and in fact it's become an impediment to growth at this point so that's why you're seeing the significant investments across the board because it's a recognition that Technology is table stakes uh, at this point. The driver yeah. for all of the discussions at, at this point that I am a part of or was a part of are all about how do we better enable the people that we work with, mm-hmm. our, our advisors, to get the tools in their hands that that they need to 
better serve their customers, grow their, all of those things. And Thank you. <laughs> and and there's no, like, no yeah. doubt, obviously, as I'm sure any advisor here listening would know, is like bumpy road to get there. And it's not always clear what exactly no. the strategy is, but that's at the core of, I think, why these investments are being made. So as an advisor, I thank you for that sort of thing, because quite frankly, I've long railed against the need for this sort of stuff. And what's kind of funny, too, is going back to the kind of like client focused at the center of the entire thing. What I find funny is that the front, that's like front office thinking. That's been, what's been going on. What they've been telling us is best practices for years is, you know, focus very much on the client experience. But it's like, that's fine. But then we didn't bother with the back end structures. And that was always inhibiting the front end, the front end experience, right? I still think... I still think about the the pain I put clients through till to this day to open up accounts, right? And it's it's brutal. It's it's unnecessary because we've been shown there a better way by the robots to do this. Yes, absolutely. So I'm glad that the back office is waking up to this sort of thing. So that's that's fantastic. So basically, a couple of things. Uh, what, any kind of really interesting types of trends you're noticing in terms of the fintechs or areas that that have really caught your attention? You mentioned Asia recently. Like, what's going on over there? That is, that is really saying is exciting. Everything. <laughs> like, like, China wow. Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, success. For, so from an insurance company standpoint, right? I mean, yeah. success there is, is measured in selling hundreds of thousands or millions of policies in a year. <laughs> in a year. You know, versus in Canada. It's just the order of magnitude. Yeah. I mean, just because you you're, are dealing with a much less mature market. Yeah. So there's unsaturated, unsaturated. Yeah. So there's way more opportunity for growth. So 10 X to the U S but then going to China is not what you should be three X from the U S it's not because you're starting with like near zero. Yeah. So my God, I can't even imagine. And what you also see there, I think is just an earlier adoption of, I mean, an earlier adoption of technology and, yeah. and building some of these new companies around that technology just to start with. But you're also seeing the presence of, some of these ecosystem platform players like Tencent and oh, Alibaba. Yeah. yeah, you know, oh uh, so like yeah. these are the things we talked about that as the thinking has evolved from foe to friend or frenemy, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, the next evolution in that thinking is, well, where do these big ecosystem players go? So it's not so much that the fintech, you know, is going to topple the, uh, the business world. It's now questions about these big platform tech players. Are we talking, so like the AWS, so, so this is, I think it's some So whether it's Amazon, yeah. I mean, in, in the US, Amazon, Google, Apple, yeah. in China, in Asia, you're, you're already seeing that play out. And the way that these companies are, are tackling those segments is very different. It's not like they're just selling your typical insurance product. They're offering micro product insurance on flight delay insurance and cell phone coverage, like things that we don't really think about here in North America in mm. any sort of big way, but that engage people and that start to build those relationships. And over time, that ecosystem becomes the place where you go to think about purchasing when that time is right for a life insurance policy or health yeah. policy. It's, it's challenging. I mean, I, I think about like the various commentary I've read on WeChat over the years, and I think it was something about Apple trying to ban payments on iPhones that weren't going through their own ecosystem and how that just killed them on sales because WeChat's more important than Apple is over there. Yeah. So that was, it's, it's, it's quite striking. And it's interesting. It's an interesting kind of difference between that paper. Do you read that paper on the Copernican Revolution in banking? Talked about like, 
level one, kind of like different levels of providers. So you would have some traditional institutions become platform providers to let everybody else build off their ecosystem. Yeah. But I mean, there in China, what it sounds like more from what you're describing is more the Amazon approach of, no, we're going to take everything and we're going to keep you in this network. Yeah. 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 And it's a little bit frightening. <laughs> well, and, and when you think about, um, and I might get the names wrong here, but when you've got major investments also, because there are a number of big insurers and traditional FIs there. But when you have Alibaba, who's got a major investment, I think it's Alibaba, with a major investment in a company like Zongang, which is the digital insurer over there, I think they raised well north of a billion dollars. That's a rounding huge, error over there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but like they're playing in all of those segments. And then it gets more interesting to think about how they bring that world together over time. It's interesting. I, I kind of wonder, I mean, at some point, the Chinese government's going to look at the amount of power that some of these major platforms, I mean, we talk about here about how the need for, for regulation on Amazon is going to have to happen sooner or later. Otherwise, yep. we're all going to be working for the company store. <laughs> That's basically <laughs> it. You know, and you know, I was at a conference just last week at, at Mars and they were saying, you know, if I'm in any industry, I wake up and, and thank God that, that Amazon hasn't t decided to tackle my industry yet. Yep. You know, you think about the scale that some of these Chinese ones have gotten and you wonder how how much longer until their government starts saying, well, not so much. I think getting into the Chinese regulatory <laughs> issues is, might be on the scope of uh, beyond this, this podcast. podcast. Yeah. yeah, that's for sure. Now, you dropped the B word earlier, which is blockchain. <laughs> so <laughs> I have not really seen, I mean, I, maybe I just haven't seen it yet or I haven't looked for it. Blockchain applications within what you guys are doing at Portage. Like, is there anything you can talk about that you've looked at or that has been of interest? I think there's been a lot of stuff that has been looked at. One of the portfolio companies, mm -hmm. or actually, I should say, one of the portfolio fund investors investments diagram if you're familiar with yeah. diagrams yeah. So diagram early is stage the incubator, incubator yeah, yeah. diagram we call it a launch pad so it's a combination yeah. of an incubator and an accelerator kind mm -hmm. of brought together depending on where the company's coming in they've recently started a blockchain producer eos Oh, they Canada. were involved with that? They're, oh. Yeah, they were involved with that hmm. uh, investment bringing eos into into canada so they are experimenting with mm. it. I think I'm by no means a blockchain expert. I think in theory, there's lots of applications, you know, from an insurance, wealth management kind of standpoint. The big question is, what's the platform that's ultimately going to not win the day, but how do you figure that out? Starting to make investments on certain protocols starts to get potentially risky. And then just getting the company and the customer like there's just a lot that goes into figuring that out and i agree with you i mean like i've had this discussion with other people about blockchain in general and i think you know everybody's like oh this is you know it feels a lot like the tech bubble did back in the day i'm like no this is even earlier like this is the protocol level like yeah. there's a lot of potential here but we haven't even figured out consumer facing anything on a lot of this and recently i had uh, someone from uh, from a company called nuco who did a big project for the tsx and basically blockchain their entire process for settlement of futures contracts and national gas. Fantastic application. And it's easier to do it there because you had a lot of friction cost. You, it was a private blockchain, so everybody was vested in, in basically maintaining this. I think the future is going to be us figuring out a lot of small private blockchains before you get the one central clearing yep. everything. So, yep. yeah. Okay, good. So, so yeah. So, they're, they're, they're absolutely, we are... You can't ignore it. Experimenting <laughs> yeah. there. The, the diagram team yep. is all over this, but mm -hmm. not something yet that the fund Portage has really made an investment in. And I think, again, a big chunk of that is the uncertainty around what will be the 
the platform. So, and here's the billion dollar question for you. What is it you guys look for when making an investment into a company like this? Be, you know, just not just the market opportunity, the team around it, like what goes into this mosaic of, uh, of decisions? Uh, probably better to have one of our investment uh, people here, <laughs> but I, I will uh, I, I will do my best. Yeah. I think so. F- first and foremost, the thing that you will hear from anyone on the investment team is they invest in the people. And maybe that sounds a little corny, but having spent some time around founders, both good and and maybe not so good, you you do get a very clear perspective on just how important having that key group of people is to keeping the company on track, mm-hmm. dealing with all of the challenges that they're going to be dealing with. So, well, you're not buying a widget that's done, right? Like no, you're, you're no. buying the promise of something and an idea. Yeah. So you need, you need the right people kind of at the top there. I would say you also have to have a pretty high degree of comfort with the technology that this isn't just a concept, it's not just an idea. Mm-hmm. You know, so the due diligence that goes into assessing the technology, its scalability, its performance, all those things, that's that's another huge piece. The basics, like you said, you know, it's the market opportunity, mm-hmm. critical for sure. So those would be a couple of the things that certainly come top of mind. I think the other thing is what's the dislocation here? Like why can we make us a solid return on this Mm -hmm. or or what's the market missing about this particular opportunity? What Mm -hmm. don't they see that we see that we can exploit to really grow and ramp this company up? So like I said, I I get involved with at this stage, a lot of the insurance deals, just given where that's my, my background. But I think if you were to ask at a high level, what are those key factors? I think those would be. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I mean, uh, I got to imagine, and again, it made so much sense to put you in that group. I mean, leveraging the existing knowledge base that exists within power that has deep roots for a long time and investments in insurance and distribution. It's just incredibly smart. And that's an important thing, too, to be able, like having someone in my role who certainly has, you know, 16 years of experience at a company like Great West who can bring in the right people, that is tremendously valuable. How much cross-collaboration is going on between Portage and the other companies at this point in terms of like assessing these opportunities? Quite a bit. I mean, today with the fund, the investment committee is comprised of representatives from Portage, Power Financial, IGM, and Great West. So Mm -hmm. there's an engagement level there. And then depending on the particular investment that's being looked at. If there is an opportunity or an area that we require level of subject matter expertise that that we don't have within the fund, we'll easily pick up the phone and be able to speak with anyone that we need to at at those companies. Excellent. Yeah. So before we close out, the question I ask everybody, because I borrowed this tactic from Tim Ferriss, who I do not know, but I'd like to meet one day. Um, what about your job, the industry, the opportunities you see excites you the most right now? Like, What about the future that's being created with your collaboration is the most exciting thing that gets you out of bed in the morning? Just well, to put my, you on the my 17-month-old daughter is uh, usually the first thing that gets me out of bed. Belated congratulations. Thank- I, I would, yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah both, <laughs> both from a uh, just... A pure noise standpoint, but also from a motivation standpoint. From my role, I think what's most exciting is seeing the willingness and the interest from the incumbents, the bigger traditional players to partner and recognize that you don't have to build everything, a path forward to explore some of these new areas in fintech and insurtech is a path through partnership. And when we sell the value, when I sell the value of what we do, I talk about three things. So I, I, I talk about the strategic return, 
there's the financial return of the fund and then there's the strategic return of the fund. And that's really where I focus. And top of that, that strategic return list is the partnership opportunity, letting company explore some of these new ways to grow the business Mm -hmm. or speed up what they're doing internally i think Mm -hmm. and seeing the the level of interest and engagement to do that is definitely something that gets me that gets me going i get that so it's not so much it's almost it's interesting it's not so much what a lot of these guys talk about which is the creation what you're looking at is the leverage you're looking at the change yeah i guess that's that was your role for so long so that makes a lot of sense totally so it's just a continuation of that on a bigger scale fantastic well I said, belated congratulations on the move. Um, completely happy about it and hope we continue these conversations in the future. Yes, so thanks absolutely. for coming in. Yes, right. thanks for having me. So that was my interview with Ben Harrison. Hope you enjoyed that. I think he provides an interesting, unique perspective of the old world and the new world coming together to hopefully create something better. And with that, thank you again for joining me. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And until next time, I'm Jason Pereira. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.